As we come to our time of communion, I'll read our scriptures. We're going we're gonna to try something new. It's something that we've always done, but uh, it's been a little while since we've done that. We're going to pass the communion trays. Uh, so how we're going to do it, though, because it's going to still be the double stack thing, uh, we're going to take it as it's, uh, hold on to it as it's passed, and then we'll all take it in unison together. I have a few guys lined up to help us with the passing, uh, so that's good. I, I asked uh, the elders uh, several months ago uh, to simply do something a little different for our communion time, and that would be that we would read through God's word leading, leading us to the cross. No thanks, Dick. Um, and so that we would, uh, we would put our focus on the cross, the focus on what Jesus is doing to lead us to this moment and the sacrifice that he's offered for us. In today's reading... Uh, we will continue to reflect on the living hope that is Jesus Christ, that through his death and burial and resurrection, we have a living hope in Christ. Today's reading is in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just but my, my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that, that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Our Savior, on the night of his betrayal, washed his betrayer's feet. Jesus, knowing his power, knowing his stature, knowing that God had laid everything before him, took on the very nature of a servant. Jesus himself, who could have 
avoided the cross, took on the cross and the shame. Jesus was a servant his entire life. He served you and me, and he laid down his life for us. The scripture encourages us, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. As we partake in the Lord's Supper, may we remember that Christ loves us to the absolute very end. You are loved by him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the example set of service, not of a power grab, of not of stature, of not of acquiring more and more power and prestige, but taking on the nature of a servant. Our Lord and Savior washed his disciples' feet, and he washes our soul, and he washes our hearts, and he cleanses us through and through. And so, Lord, we come together around the table remembering our servant Savior, the one who laid down his life for us. And we praise you that, that, Lord, you have loved us as your own and you have loved us to the end. Keep this promise in our minds and our hearts today and through this week. Lord, as we reflect on your sacrifice and the blood shed and the body broken, may we know that we are loved through and through. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the guys will come forward and we'll pass the trays and we'll partake in it all together once it's all passed.
having loved us to the very end, let's partake in the bread first. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And of the cup, this is Christ's blood shed for you. And remembering Christ together, share with me in 1 Corinthians. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we show the Lord's death until he comes. This time we have traditionally had offering and we pass the trays. And we're not going to necessarily bring back the trays just yet to pass the offering. I just want to give you an update about the church and, and finances. Uh, the good news is that we're doing really well. We have uh, money in the savings account. We have money in the building fund. And, and we have been doing well. We realize that the communication on that has not been uh, necessarily the best uh, because it just everything going on you know <laughs> and it's kind of hard to keep on top of that so giving has been sustained and, and it's been good and so I just wanted to let you know that we are in good financial standing as a congregation we have money in the bank we can keep functioning and doing ministry and so I'm grateful for your generosity and your kindness so I just want to drop a reminder that it's in the bucket over there uh or in the box over there. It's a cute box. It's not a bucket anymore. Wendy said we need something cute, so we have something nice. So uh, please continue to give and support the church as we uh, continue in our ministry, and as these things start ramping up a little bit more again and uh, different ministry aspects of things that we're trying to do as a church family. So thank you for your generosity. I'm going to ask that the kids' church is dismissed. That's first through fifth. First through fifth. If you in your Bibles, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Hebrews chapter thirteen, and this will be our last message on the book of Hebrews. Today's text has within it a familiar passage as Hebrews 13:8 and in Hebrews 13:8 we are told that Jesus is the same Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever that Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and as we think about Jesus uh, is this sermon series has been pointing out all the ways in which Jesus is better the ways in which Jesus is greater than the angels greater than Moses greater than the priests greater than uh, anything that we've uh, ever constructed of, of what is uh, Lord and King and Savior. Jesus is, is the greatest. Jesus is better. And so we've looked at the better covenant, the better promise, the better resurrection, the better priest, the better sacrifice, these things that are better, the better resurrection. And all of this has been a lot of theology work. A lot of this has just been teaching us about God and what Jesus has done. And in excellent uh, Hebrews preacher fashion, the last section is all about, okay, what do we do now? What do we do now in light of Jesus being the better sacrifice? How does that impact my everyday life? You know, it's like it, you sat through a lot of sermons and this is what it's all for, okay, guys? Like this is the application time. And he wants them to walk away from the sermon that, that morning, perhaps. That would have been one long sermon. You guys complain about mine. 
at the end of the text he says, and this was a short word to you all, and it's like, I'm like, wait a second, are you joking here, you know? So he, uh, uh, he makes his own maybe lighthearted humor. It's like, and I've just only begun preaching, and that was like 10 hours later, you know? And so, uh, so this text is all about how do we land the plane with all of this rich theology of all of our understanding of who Christ is and what he's done, how does it apply to me today? If you've been waiting for that message, here it is. And it's right here, it is all summed up in verse 1 of chapter 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. We've known that this text is about perseverance. We've known that it's about Christians who are feeling the pressure of the society around them that they are hearing false teachings, that they are hearing various things about what they should leave and, and the inadequacies of Christ. And they've been challenged over and over again. And the preacher just says this very simple thing, but it is so important to them. Keep on. Press on. Continue to love one another. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, how do we do that? And thankfully, he starts fleshing this out. How do, I love one, how do I love my brothers and sisters? Well, he says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I don't know what to do with the last part of that. I don't know if I've ever entertained angels. I've had you all over, so I would say that's true. I've had angels over. I don't know how that works. But it's this point about showing hospitality, about opening our homes, being welcoming to the stranger, being welcoming to those who are different than us, being welcoming to all people in our life, that we would open our homes, that it would be filled with God's love. I was reflecting on this, and I was thinking about uh, Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so uh, what, what does that mean? What is the truth of that? And as I reflect on Jesus' ministry, if Jesus was the same yesterday, and yesterday is the story of the Gospels, just for a moment, think about all the times that Jesus was in a home. Jesus was in the home, and they lower the guy through the roof in Mark 2. He was in a home, and he blessed, and he forgave, and he healed in the home. We think about maybe another story of Jesus at the Pharisee's house and there's a woman that's just weeping and crying and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee's looking on and saying, well, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't be allowing this to happen. But Jesus, he says, you know, those who have been forgiven much love much. And Jesus forgave her. Jesus loved her. Jesus cared for her in a home. We think about Mary and Martha and Jesus upending the social norms and just teaching to draw near that, that they would have a place of learning and love and acceptance and fellowship with Jesus. This, this happened in a home. We, we read in John 13 of what happened in a home of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And here's my conviction that some of God's greatest work has happened in a home. It happens when people open their home to Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the same yesterday and he's the same today, it seems to me that if we want to partake in what God is doing in ministry, we would open our homes to Jesus Christ. 
we would open our homes and we'd open our hearts and we would let him do the work that he did yesterday to do it today. That our hearts would be open to saying, yes, I will be hospitable. I will be welcoming to people and let them in so that God can do his great work, that God can work in my life and in others' lives. Because what I think the point of the second half of this is that we end up entertaining angels is that we end up entertaining and being blessed by something. We end up receiving a blessing and an encouragement. Angels were messengers from God, and sometimes the best things come by just simply being a hospitable and open to God and opening our home to Him. And so I have a direct application to how this looks, and I'm going to uh, land the plane with it, and I'm going to talk about it at the end of my message and what I think this looks like of being hospitable now as Christians in the 21st century world and some just practical things that we can do. I want to continue uh, in our text, though, as it just keeps walking us through these applications of what does it mean to love one another? I think it's opening our home. And then it says in verse 3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. In the ancient Christian world, there would have been many Christians who were imprisoned. Imprisoned because they believed Jesus to be Lord and King and that Caesar wasn't. And there were consequences to that. And so the preacher says, we need to be hospitable to the stranger, but we also need to love those who have suffered for Jesus Christ. We need to honor those. We need to remember them. We need to do all that we can to love and encourage them. If that's what we were called to do yesterday, then today I think that as we look onward and as we look at what Christ is doing in the world today, we need to be in prayer for Afghanistan. We're hearing reports of Christians who are there that are now underground, who are meeting under uh, life-threatening circumstances. And so we pray for the church in Afghanistan. We pray for the church in North Korea. We pray for it in China. We pray for it in Iran and Iraq. In any part, in any corner of the world that is suffering for the sake of Christ, we need to remember those who are suffering, remembering those who are imprisoned, remembering those who are beaten, remembering those who are imprisoned for merely gathering in the name of Christ. And so as we think about welcoming people into our home, what we end up sensing is is that this is an others-focused message. That as we draw closer to Christ in our love and understanding of who he is and what he has done for us personally, it becomes this outwardly turned affection and love towards those who are without Christ and towards those who are suffering for Christ. It becomes great commission, it becomes greatest commandment minded that we would love God and love others and love those who are far from us. And then he turns from the outward focus And to those uh, outside of him, and then he says in verse 4, marriage should be honored by all, and marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Then he turns it to within the home. And he says we need to protect our marriages. We need to honor our marriages. One of the things that are under attack is marriage. It's being attacked in so many different ways, and it's not just, it's not just the a traditional family unit that's being attacked, but it's the men and our identity in Christ. It's the objectivity of women and the, the 
the lust problem that per, is pervasive in our culture, the accessibility of things that will lead us astray in our marriages. There is so much sin and so much temptation. We have to honor our marriage. We have to love our spouses and care for them and honor them and respect them. I wish I had the perfect answer to know how to protect your marriage, but all I have to lean on and my understanding of marriage is that it's a covenant, it's a promise that Christ in his covenant with us forgives us and lays down his life for us. And in Ephesians, Paul challenges us as husbands to lay down our lives as well, to love our wives and care for them as Christ cares for the church. It calls for forgiveness, it calls for mercy, it calls for grace, it calls for listening, it calls for us to put our phones down and look at each other and talk every once in a while. It calls us to hold hands and walk on the beach and sing lullabies. I don't know, but it calls us to love one another and honor one another. It's, it's to pray for families to walk together in Christ and draw near to Him. And so I'll say, if you are having difficulty in your marriage, please talk to me. Let me know how I can be of encouragement to you, how, what Wendy and I can do to walk together with you. Reach out to an elder. Reach out to people in your life to strengthen your marriage and be encouraged. We need marriages. We need you to love one another and lift each other up. And so the preacher, he's hitting all of it. He's hitting our outward uh, our outward. Uh, life and how we reach out to the lost and hurting world and he's also asking us to look in our own home and how we would honor our marriage and love one another and keeping it pure from sexual immorality and the things that cause bitterness and jealousy and envy and strife and these things that will wreak havoc on our marriage and if he doesn't he goes from the outward stuff and he goes to our marriage and then he hits where, where we really like to be talked to he talks about our wallets. In verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your lives from the love of money and be content with what you have. The preacher, if we were tracking along with him, and I know it's been spanned out over several weeks, and I think what he's saying to us is, is that if you have Christ, you have everything you need. And he says it as much in what follows. He says, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? He's saying, you have Christ. You have his love. You have been given access to God, the heavenly Father, through the sacrifices of the Son. He has gone through the sanctuary and his blood is spread throughout all of it and you have received his grace and mercy that you can have a life-giving relationship with God. You have that with him. And so, friends, if you would just take this quite literally, you have been given God and we have chosen so many other things besides him. We have chosen so much lesser gods, so many lesser gods that we have had this seed of bitterness, the seed of envy and jealousy. We look at what others have and we have forgotten what we have in Christ. 
And so it's not a bigger home, and it's not a nicer car, and, it's in, and you can't get a nicer car now anyways. They don't have these microchip thingies. So even if you wanted it, I guess you can't have it. But then that makes you want to have it more, and whatever. Christ says we have him. The preacher is saying you have Christ, you have life in him, you have access to him. Be content in that. Be content in what you have in him and don't be a lover of money. Don't be a lover of these things of this world. And so he's, he's hitting all of the topics. He's saying go into the world and love those and welcome them into your home. He is saying uh, to us that we are called then to also remember those who are suffering and hurting. And he asks us then to care for our marriages. And then he also asks us to consider how we are spending our lives and the contentment that we have in our life. And to stand on the promise of God that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It goes back to Jesus in Matthew 6 and talking about our worry and teaching us not to worry about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own, but that Christ knows our needs and he challenges us and encourages us to seek first his righteousness. That as Christ is there for us, we can know, we can have contentment in him and walk with him. Then it transitions. Kind of, it becomes a challenge then of this sort of everyday life. What do you do to grow in Christ? He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders. Don't be quick to just sort of label that person. I want you to actually think about who the leader is. Remember the person who spoke the word of God to you. That's your leader. Remember the person who encouraged you with God's word, the person who led you to Christ, the person who taught you of Jesus and his love, and the, and the, the ask there is to consider their way of life and imitate their faith. Were they loyal to Jesus Christ? Did they stay faithful and true? Did what they say to you, did it really matter? Did it make a difference in your everyday life? And he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What he did in the past is what he's doing today. And he, then he points us towards the future. He's going to do this forever. He's always going to be in the forgiveness business. He's always going to be in the business of welcoming us and drawing us near to him. He's always going to be working these miracles and changing lives and impacting us every day. And so he says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is no benefit to those who do so. And he kind of throws this one out there, but this is the challenge. People were still wrestling with the old way of doing things, and he's saying all of that stuff is sort of falling to the wayside. And he says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tab tabernacle have no right to eat. He's getting into something here, but he, this is what he wants you to see. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. His conclusion draws us back to the cross. 
everything for the Christian, when we reflect on what it means to love one another, always goes back to the cross. And he's saying, there is Jesus, and he's outside the city gate. And yes, his blood was taken, and it washed us, and it cleansed us, and it took us to the sanctuary. But I want you to also remember the cross. And I want you to, go to, I want you to fix your eyes on the cross and remember Christ. He says in verse 12, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. And then in verse 13 he says this, Let us then go to him. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Go to the cross. Go to him. Go to Jesus. That's the message. You want to apply how to love one another? You go to Jesus and you go to the cross. You go to him who endured and bore all of our shame. And he says, you go to the cross too and you be the servants of Christ. You be the lovers of God and the world. I want you to go outside of the city. And all sort of circle back, circles back to verse 2. To showing love to the stranger. Showing love to one another. Remembering those who are suffering. Caring for one another in our marriages. Loving God above all else. He says, go to the cross, go to him. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others for with such sacrifices. God is pleased. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, the same today, and forever. Some of the greatest work God did was in a home. It was in the past, and I think that that's true today, and the greatest work that God is going to do is going to be in a home again. As we look towards forever, and what that might mean for us today, my mind and my heart goes to Revelation 21 and 22. That there is a new home coming for each and every one of us. And the miracles that happened in the past in the life and ministry of Jesus and the miracles that happen today are going to be even greater and more confounding to us in the great miracle of God bringing his home to us. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus will be there with us and God will make his presence with us in a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears that God's new home is going to be a place of God's greatest work. So our encouragement today, this challenge to love one another, to open our homes, to care for our marriages, to be wise stewards of our finances and content with what we have. I have a simple challenge, a simple encouragement, something that I think can work at just bridging the gap and bringing us together would everybody say the word together, together? One, two, three. Together. There is no more important thing to me right now than that we would be together. 
opening our home, and loving one another. Do you feel that and sense that? That there is something going on within you, this inner longing and desire to be together with Christians. We need each other and we need the Lord. So I have a simple challenge, encouragement, a thing to partake in. One is a picnic today. All right? Be a part of the picnic. And the second thing is uh, three by three by three, or three cubed, or we can just call them three bys, whatever. It's three families or individuals meeting three times for the next three months. So just once a month for over the next three months. And what I would encourage you to do is just go and sign up for it. And once we get everybody signed up, we'll um, assign teams and then we'll have a competition of pickleball, right? No, wait. That's something else. I've really enjoyed pickleball lately. I, I, I have issues. But, uh, uh, but we would sign up. We would encourage one another, sign up, be a part of it. And we will branch out and have time together. You can open your home and meet together in a home. You can go out to the steakhouse and wait an hour, uh, or you can uh, you know, find a place to meet and gather and, and come together. The point of it is that when we open our homes, we open it to Christ and his work. And there are blessings that happen by coming together. And so it's my prayer and my hope that as we come together three times over the next three months with three individuals or families, that we would draw, draw closer together and draw closer to Christ. So would you be a part of that with me? Would you join together in saying, you know, we are going to come together as a church. And it starts through meeting together and welcoming Christ, praying together, encouraging one another and walking with him. Let's do this together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you challenge us through your word to be a people who walk together, who love one another, remember those who are suffering, care for our marriages, and bless others and live a generous life through the riches and resources you've given us. So Lord, you turn our hearts away from the selfishness, away from the ego, away from our pride, and you call us to a life of humility and hospitality. So, Lord, I just ask that you would stir in our hearts today to be challenged by your text, by the sermon that you preached a long time ago through one of your faithful servants, pointing us to the greatness of Christ, pointing us to the greatness of his sacrifice and his priesthood and his love for us. And we know today, Lord, that you are Lord and King and Savior. That you've rescued us from sin, that you've provided purification for our sins, that we have a relationship with you. You've called us to holiness and a life in you. And so together, Lord, we want to walk with you. Let this new endeavor, this simple thing, be a small seed that grows into a great fruit of togetherness and unity and love for you, love for one another, and love for a lost and hurting world. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit to lead us and guide us. 
We thank you for today, and we thank you for the rich love that we sh- uh, and fellowship that we share together. In Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.